Turn with me to the book of Matthew, chapter 14. In Matthew chapter 14, starting in verse 22, we read these words. Immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. But immediately, Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and began to sink and cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. You know, this summer our focus is faith. And today I want to show you that faith is an ocean that you can walk on. And what I mean by that is that a life of faith, when pursued correctly, it will take you places that you could never have gone on your own. That a life of faith, when done correctly, will empower you to live above your circumstances. And when understood and experienced, a life of faith is a vastly superior way of living than any of the other options available to you. Faith, like an ocean, is grand. It's powerful. It's awesome. And it would take a lifetime to fully explore. I could preach on faith for years and still not cover all that there is to cover. That's how vast and amazing the subject of faith is. But we need not be intimidated by the great subject of faith. Rather, let us marvel at it. Climb aboard the boat with the other disciples and discover that faith is an ocean that you can walk on. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says, For by grace you've been saved Through faith. And this is not of your own doing. It's the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Salvation is experienced through faith. You cannot earn your right into heaven. You cannot erase bad deeds with good deeds. You cannot work your way into good standing with God. You simply trust in his love, trust in his grace to save you, and through faith you're saved. Romans 1, 16 and 17 says... For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For in it, the righteousness of God is revealed from faith for faith, as it is written, the righteous shall live by faith. What this means is when it says the righteousness of God is revealed from faith, is that right standing with God, salvation comes through faith. But it says the righteousness of God is revealed From faith, for faith. Meaning that heaven is not the only goal in your salvation. Salvation is experienced from faith, for faith. Meaning that God desires that the step of faith that you take in trusting in Jesus to save you, that that would be the first step of many steps of faith. That that salvation comes from faith, for faith. 
Because salvation comes from faith and is for faith, Paul then goes on to point out that the righteous shall live by faith. He's saying that saved people now live by faith. That faith is more than a one-time saving event. Faith is now a lifestyle. 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, For we walk by faith, not by sight. Faith is how God's people live. That we live our lives, the way we live our lives, the way we conduct ourselves, the directions that we go in life, that there's supposed to be steps taken in faith. We are saved so that we can live out the promise in the Old Testament. Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. See, once you understand and experience that faith is a way of life, when you experience it as a way of life, you find that it is a far better way to live than the other options that are available to you. Now, what are the other options? Well, instead of trusting the Lord with all your heart, what you can do is you can lean on your own understanding. You could live completely dependent upon what your brain is able to understand, which quite frankly is the way that most people live. I mean, why not live a life dependent on your ability to understand things and think your way forward? I mean, since the vast majority of people in the world that live this way, then surely it's a viable way of living. To live a life where every decision you make is based solely on your ability to calculate outcomes and possibilities, relying solely on your five senses. What you can see with your eyes, what you could smell with your nose, what you can hear with your ears, what you could taste with your mouth, and what you could feel with your skin. Now, now it's true that there's a lot of information that you can gather through your five senses, but it's also true that there's a lot of information that your five senses fail to detect. It's also true that our capacity to misunderstand things is often comical, frequently sad, and sometimes tragic. I mean, men. Men, do you remember those younger years when you were single and searching for a girl in which you could develop a romantic relationship with? Some of them are like, that's now. Some of you are like, yeah, I remember, I remember. Okay, if you can recall that, um, how many of you can recall something stupid you did thinking a girl was romantically interested in in you? Thinking that there was a possibility of romance with this young lady and because you believed that, you did something stupid. There's only four of us. There's a bunch of liars in this room. Either that or you've got no experience with girls. Ladies, how many of you can recall a boy doing something stupid because he misunderstood what you did and he thought there was a romantic possibility? Ladies, see, y'all are boys are not telling the truth here. Yeah. Guys, you saw her eyes. With your eyes, you saw her smile. With your nose, you smelled perfume or you smelled at least a good bath soap that was on her. (laughs) Your ears heard her speak with friendly tones. You might have even felt her brush up against you. And your brain took that data 
and it calculated the meaning of it all. And it determined that romance was ready and available. And then your brain remembered what your eyes saw and your ears heard from television and movies and convinced you that, that all you had to do was follow those TV ads and act like those actors and she was sure to fall in love with you. So you leaned on your own understanding and you went out and made a royal fool out of yourself. Ladies, I'm picking on the guys, but if you were honest, I bet you too can think of times when your brain misunderstood the data that your five senses was giving you. See, when you live your life based solely on the little you know, on the little your five senses can detect, you are operating within the futility of your own mind. Ephesians 4.17 says, Now this I say and testify in the Lord, that you must no longer walk in, like the Gentiles do, in the futility of their minds. What it means to walk in the futility of your own mind means that you make all of your decisions based solely on what you bring to the table. What you heard your parents teach you, what you personally have experienced from your little tiny corner in this gigantic universe, and what you can experience with your five senses. And yes, you can gather a lot of information from those sources, but it is a really foolish thing to believe that that is all there is. When you live within the futility of your own mind, you end up making a whole lot of mistakes because there is an enormous amount of, of truth that exists beyond the range of your tiny personal experience. I mean, truthfully, how much of the world's knowledge do you think you have? I love to use this illustration, but if we took a trip to um, the Library of Congress, which is considered the largest library in the world, containing more than 33 million books and other print materials on 745 miles of bookshelves. The collection includes 3 million recordings, 12.5 million photographs, 5.3 million maps, 6 million pieces of sheet music, and 63 million manuscripts. That's a lot of information in one place. You, we could take a trip to that one place and just ask ourselves, what percentage of that information do you know? See, there's a lot you don't know. With so much that you do not know, how arrogant and foolish it is to think that you know enough to reject the things of God. And when we place the reasoning of our finite minds above the revelation of God, when we take the little of this universe that we know and arrogantly think that that is all there is and reject what God has given us, that kind of thinking, it's so toxic to our lives because in this great universe, to think the little that you've learned is all, that that's all there is, such thinkings will set you up to become bitter, disillusioned, and resentful. Because somewhere along the way, life is going to give you something that your small database is not equipped to handle. See, so long as life is going along the way in, in ways that you understand, it's all fine. But life will eventually give you something that doesn't fit, that doesn't meet your expectations. And when that happens... As soon as that happens, as soon as life gives you something that doesn't fit inside your little box, you either have to humble yourself and admit how little you know, or you become disillusioned, potentially depressed, and become a bitter and angry person, angry with the world because things did not turn out the way your finite mind expected them to. And bitter, angry, and disillusioned is how many people live as they lean on their own understanding and walk in the futility of their own minds. But you don't have to be limited by your five senses. 
God gives us a sixth sense that we can have access to called faith. By faith, you can have access to the libraries of heaven. By faith, you can accept the limits of your own mind and rest in the wisdom of God. By faith, you can, within the context of a relationship with an eternal God, a God who knows all things, past, present, and future, you can gain insight into things that you never could have figured out on your own. Now, that doesn't mean that you won't still make mistakes and misunderstand things, but it does mean that by faith, you can rest in the truth that God is in control, that that God is good, and that God is for you, that God will work all things out according to his plan, not your expectations. It's a vastly superior way of living. And once you understand faith, once you experience it, you find that faith really is an ocean you can walk on. Let's look back at the story where Peter, for for a time, walked on the water with Jesus. Now, the context is Jesus had just performed the most incredible miracle. I mean, it's the only miracle, aside from his resurrection from the dead, that's recorded in all four Gospels. It's the miracle where Jesus feeds 5,000, taking two small fish and five barley loaves, and he he took that and he created food. He, he multiplied it. He made it so much that 5,000 people can eat from that small portion. And there were more leftovers than what he was given to start out with. Anyone ever hosted a large dinner for, for people? This 5,000 folks. What Jesus did on that day was incredible. And I love how it says that after this miracle, Matthew 4, 22... It says, immediately he made his disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. See, Jesus had just, he had just done the most incredible miracle that, he, that, 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 that the disciples had ever experienced in their lifetime. And he let them be a part of it. They, they got to, their hands got to be a part of it. Their feet got to be a part of it. They, they participated in the miracle. What an exciting day. What an exciting time. I mean, what could all this mean? And now Jesus says um, to these disciples who are overwhelmed with excitement, he says, hey, why don't y'all go on ahead, get in the boat, I'll dismiss the crowd. Now, having just been a part of the greatest miracle of the time, the disciples say, hey, Jesus, we want to help. We can do this. We can handle this. We're, we're on your team, Jesus. And the Bible tells us that Jesus made his disciples get in the boat. See, the first thing you need to understand about faith and that if faith is going to be an ocean that you walk on is that you've got to get into the boat. You see, a life of faith will take you places that you never could have gone on your own. But if you resist Jesus' direction in your life, you're going to miss the places that he's intending to take you. Jesus made those disciples get in the boat because he knew they needed a break and he knew they had something greater to learn. He's got greater things for you to experience. He's got greater things for you to learn. But if you resist his direction, you can't go to the places that he's going to take you. So are you in the boat? Are you saved? Have you given your life to Jesus and gotten in the boat that way? Are you in the boat? Are you... um, have you been baptized? Are you in the boat? Are you, are you an active part of, 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 of one of his churches? Are you willing to let go of your ways in order to act on his? Now these disciples, they follow his lead. 
they get in the boat and they begin to journey to the other side of the sea. Jesus dismisses the crowd and then he goes up on a mountainside to pray. And as night sets in, the disciples are rowing that boat and just as Jesus told them to do. They're doing what he said. They're in the boat, they're rowing, and the wind starts to blow harder and harder and harder. Have you ever been on a boat on a windy day? It's quite the experience. On land, we've got trees and buildings and houses and other objects, things that will deflect the wind that, so that you don't experience the full force of the wind. But, but, but on, the, on, on water, there's nothing to deflect the wind. That boat gets the full force of the wind, and it, and it doesn't take a whole lot, and all of a sudden, that boat is rocking violently. I was once on a fishing trip in the bay at Padre Island. So, you know, on the sea, the waves are, are big, but in the bay, you got the island that breaks them up. So we were on a fishing trip on the bay, and the wind picked up. No storm, no lightning, no, no just wind. That wind was swinging that boat wildly. It was really quite scary. That's the situation. They're in this little boat, and the wind are pushing them around, and they are struggling. And in verse 24, it says, But the boat by this time was a long way from land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them walking on the sea. The fourth watch happens between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. So imagine these disciples. They're tired from a long and eventful day. And now they're exhausted because they've been rowing against the wind for hours. They are scared. They are worn out. It's late. It's dark. And it's scary. And now they see something that they never would have thought to look for. They see the figure of a man walking on the water. And it says, But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified. And they said, It's a ghost. And they cried out in fear. See, they, they didn't assume that Jesus was the one walking on the water. I mean, because humans with flesh, when they do water, they either swim or they sink, but you don't walk on it. The, the, so, so they just, they didn't naturally assume it was Jesus. They're like, okay, if, some, if something with flesh and blood is on the water, it's either swimming to us, but if it's not on the water, it's something else. It must be a ghost. And they start to panic and they start to scream in fear. They probably thought that death was coming from them. And in verse 27, it says, But immediately Jesus spoke to them saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. I want you to notice that word immediately. Jesus' response to their fear and their panic was immediate. Verse 28, And Peter answered him, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. He said, come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. See, when you trust in the Lord with all your heart, when you live a life of faith, faith will take you places that you never would have gone on your own. There is no way Peter ever had the ambition to walk on the water. I mean, it was not a goal of his. It wasn't on his bucket list. Um, just not anything that he would have thought was possible. But because of his faith in Jesus, he said, command me to come. Look, you commanded me to get in this boat and I trusted you. Now if you command me to get out of the boat, I will trust you. When you live a life of faith, God will take you places, better places than you could plan for yourself. When you live a life of faith, God will do things that go beyond logic. 
Like I remember when we moved from Longview to Little Albany, we needed to sell a home. The church had a parsonage that we could move into, so we were able to move into a home, but I still had to pay the mortgage. And I calculated things. Math was my subject in school. I got it out on a paper. I worked it out. I figured out that I had six months of savings to pay that mortgage on. That after six months, that's as far as I go. I had to sell that house in six months. In month seven, I'm in trouble. I'm going into debt. That's what I had figured out. God did not let that house sell for 11 months. Because he wanted to teach me. That his ways go beyond my logic. That I can't work out his ways on a piece of paper and with a calculator. Took 11 months. Six months I thought I had it. Those other five were all about faith and trust where God provided. I don't know how he got us through it. But I did not go into debt. We sold that house. When you live a life of faith, God will put you in situations that are going to be like, I don't know if I could take this step. But God knows what he's doing. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. And lean not on your understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. I don't know how God did it, but he taught me that his ways, they work beyond my own understanding and that I can trust him. When you trust in the Lord with all your heart, when, when you live a life of faith, faith won't, it won't change your circumstances. Rather, faith will elevate you above your circumstances. Peter's circumstance was liquidic and windy. Jesus didn't change the water into ice. And he didn't change Peter's sandals into floaties. Um, water still remained water. What was different was that faith allowed Peter to live above the water. A life of faith won't change your circumstances. What it will do is it will allow you to live above those circumstances. So that difficult co-worker at your job, they're still going to be difficult. Your faith won't change that person at the workplace. But believing that God has a purpose for you in that workplace, that you have a mission from God to make him known to your coworkers, then, then rather than being brought down by your circumstances, faith will empower you to rise above those circumstances. In marriage, faith won't change the fact that your spouse, that your spouse has what seems to be the opposite personality from you which really is quite common. Faith won't change your spouse's personality. But when you believe that God put you and your spouse together for his purposes, then instead of trying to change them to be a, another version of yourself, you can accept them for who God made them to be and accept that God has given you somebody whose personality will oftentimes be a, that they will have strengths in the exact places where you have a weakness. And so instead of trying to scramble and control your spouse, you can just rest and marvel in God's wisdom. It doesn't change your circumstances. It allows you to live above the circumstance. Every arena in life, in church, driving on the road, faith won't change your circumstances. But I tell you what, it'll make such a, such a difference inside you that it'll be just about like walking on the water. Now, 
listen to me carefully here. This is not a message on the power of believing or choosing a positive attitude in life. The ocean you can walk on is not an ocean where you say, I want it, and I simply will believe it into reality. Peter did not say, hey, Jesus, if you can do it, I can do it. He didn't say, hey, Jesus, FYI, I'm coming out on the water with you. Hey, Jesus, I want to try that, and I believe I can. What Peter says, he says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And Jesus said, come. You see, Peter's faith was not in himself or his ability to believe. His faith was in Jesus. And if Jesus says, come, then then I know Jesus will make my path straight and that Jesus will make my footsteps firm. Faith becomes an ocean you can walk on when you believe in something true. Not the power of belief. So if, if Jesus says, I want you to work with children. You trust in Jesus, not in your own training and capacity. If Jesus says go, you go. If Jesus says stop, you stop. If Jesus says give, you give. If Jesus says share, you share. If Jesus says start, you start. If Jesus says build, you build. Because you're trusting in his plan, in his wisdom. And over and over again, he's proved to me over and over again, it is way higher than mine and I'm assuming yours too. I hadn't talked to you enough to know for sure, but I'm pretty sure, pretty certain about how smart Jesus is. See, faith becomes an ocean you can walk on when your faith is in something true. Jesus is solid. Just because you've got sincere faith doesn't mean that, that the object of your faith will sustain you. I found this story. In November 1987, a large group of anti-government rebels in Sarodi, Uganda... They had targeted a rural army post and an airstrip for takeover. And a company numbering in the hundreds gathered in the dense surrounding brush for the attack. But this was no ordinary invasion. The task force was using some strikingly unconventional tactics. According to the Associated Press, the rebels attacked the army base half-naked. A few wore old army trousers, a few wore army boots, and all of them had their pants rolled up above their knees. Curiously, all of the attackers were smeared with oil. And as they advanced on the airstrip, they marched boldly, even fearlessly, toward the government defending forces. In unison, they chanted, God is there, God is there. When the hour-long attack was over, the rebels were routed. Out of the 700 men, 200 were killed, many more were taken prisoner. One of the prisoners, a man named Abone, explained the bizarre event. See, the rebels were members of a disgruntled religious political group called the Holy Spirit Movement. The founder of the movement, a witch doctor named Alice Lacawena, convinced her forces that she had concocted magic oil that would protect them from bullets. And she had instructed them to take off their shirts, roll up their pants legs, smear their bodies with the oil, And she promised that that rocks would explode like grenades as they threw them from their hands for the faithful. And that the ragtag militia went to take the airstrip and and that they would then wait for foreign assistance. The troops never took the airstrip and the foreign assistance never came. The battle was lost before it had begun. You see, 
No one can fault the Holy Spirit movement for their lack of sincerity. They believed. I mean, you've got to be a true believer if you're going to face bullets half naked. But sincerity of belief matters very little when what you're believing in has no substance to it. Finally, living a life of faith doesn't mean you won't make mistakes along the way. Verse 30. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid. And beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, Oh, you of little faith, why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. You would not be the first person who, in faith, to step out into where God is leading you, and then after some initial success, to take your eyes off of Jesus and to look around at your circumstances and suddenly begin to sink. But I want you to notice that Jesus immediately reaches out to Peter. And he'll do the same for you. A life of faith doesn't mean a life of perfection, a life without mess-ups, without having needing do-overs. But the great thing about a life of faith in Jesus is he's Savior. And just because he saved you from your sin so that you can go to heaven, that doesn't mean he's done saving you. He does a lot of saving. And if we're honest, we need a lot of saving, don't we? And that's who Jesus is. And one day as you walk on the ocean that's called faith, you'll look back and you'll be like, wow. I never would have thought God would have brought me here. I never would have thought that God could have done that. When you do it, you'll find that faith is an ocean that you can walk on. So what do you need to do today? To instead of a life where you lean only on your own understanding, a life that's done within the futility of your own mind, to be a life of faith. Maybe your first step today is to step into God's kingdom and by faith quit trusting your abilities and trust in God's provision and his promise and to say, Jesus, I give you my life to save. Maybe your step of faith is to say, you know what, God? I need to repent of doing things my way. The rest of the world is making a mess out of them lives and I've been doing the just like them but I hear your voice today and I believe that you know better. And I'll tell you one other thing. That life of faith happens in the context of a relationship with God. You're not going to read a book and master it. It happens in the context of a relationship with God and over time, your ability to hear and know his direction in your life becomes stronger and stronger and stronger. You've got to take that first step. I'd love to tell you more. Faith is like an ocean. It's going to take a long time. Let me pray and pray for you. Father God, I thank you for your word and all the wisdom that you grant us from it. And God, 
I know that you've got a purpose and a plan for each person here. God, that there is a step of faith that you want all of us to take as we walk in relationship with you. And God, I just pray that in this moment beginning now and in the days to come, that each person here can get something from you to guide and direct the choices and decisions that are before them. And God, we're not expecting that we're going to perfectly understand and respond. But God, I do pray that you would give us something that we can respond to. And also just taking great comfort in the fact that God, Jesus has never stopped being Savior. And that even if we take a misstep, immediately is how he responds. God, if somebody here needs to take that first step of faith and be saved today, I pray that you would speak to their hearts right now and give them the courage to walk up front and take the hand of their pastor and say, Pastor Bob, I need to be saved. That they can pray and become a child of God today. I pray for all of us who have that human tendency to rely on the minds that you've given us that we can recognize and humbly admit how little we know and that it is good for us to seek you out and what you know. For there's no mystery to you. You know all things past, present, and future. And what a privilege it is that through your Holy Spirit you would give us insights into how we should go. Father God, in these moments, speak to us like only you can. We're listening. We pray these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen.